Well, good morning. I'm excited to be here this morning. Wow, it's been wonderful. And uh, glad we can all take a look at God's Word together. Glad that you are all here with us this morning. As you know, we're in Mark chapter 8, beginning at verse 31. Such a pivotal uh, passage of Scripture that I don't think any of us can leave even just after reading the Scripture and not have to be reflective on how this is impactful for our life. Next week, we begin a brief series of messages called Summer Breezes, and we're going to be uh, covering a, a, a number of different themes that uh, hopefully will bring refreshment to our hearts and lives. But we want to conclude uh, chapter 8 in Mark today. Uh, some of our students are still writing exams, and they will be finished uh, on Tuesday of this coming week. But we've come also to exam time in the life of our leader, Jesus Christ. And he puts a big exam before his disciples. Chapter 8, uh, by the way, is the uh, halfway marker of the gospel. And you're going to notice a seismic shift uh, in the tenor of the gospel. The first half, uh, the second half is distinguished by the way Jesus serves. And the, but the first part of the gospel, the first eight chapters, uh, is how Jesus ruled and how he demonstrated who he was. And so he was seeking to, uh, to put his identity forth with all of his miracles and healings and so on. But now the shift is going to come to serving people, and he begins to talk about what is yet to come in his life and ministry. And he talks about the cross, and he talks about his death and the resurrection. And this is just so important to him to let his disciples know that this is on the horizon. So let's begin with a word of prayer. I'm going to have you stand. If you're in the front seats, I find it really hard to get out of those seats. <laughs> but I think further back it gets easier. So let's all stand together and let's pray. Lord Jesus, how good to be here today. Your life and your message is still revolutionizing the world. And we want to be attuned to your, your heart today as you remind us in the 21st century of your call to us to be your disciples. Lord, these are exam days for our, our students. We pray for them as they, as they finish their school year. And Lord, we thank you that uh, you always made it clear that the challenging, challenge of following you comes with a great cost. So help us know today that you never leave us alone and you form us into authentic followers of Jesus. So help us to be your disciples, true disciples, in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Uh, in the same chapter of the Gospel of Mark, chapter 8, we've heard Jesus inquire as to who people think he is. Uh, in light of all that has been done, who do people say that I am? And they give him a little feedback, and then he becomes more personal, and he says, and who do you think I am? Well, our dearly beloved Peter steps into the batter's box, and he swings, and he connects, and he knocks the ball out of the park, and he hits a home run, and he says, you are the Messiah. In other words, in other Gospels, it says you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And there couldn't have been a better answer. And Jesus says, wow, Peter, 
Your answer is from the Father alone. No one told you that. The Spirit opened your eyes and you spoke forth this absolute truth. You are the Messiah, the Anointed One, the Christ, the Son of the Living God. It must have felt very comforting to Jesus uh, that his disciples were, were beginning to get it. Can't say that they got it, but they're beginning to get it. Now Jesus is prepared to take the next step. And he wants to let them in on the things that are pressing on his heart. Well, what are those things? Well, he must suffer many things. He must be rejected by the elders. He must be killed. And he must rise from the dead. And those things are on his heart. And it must have been, surprised his disciples because they certainly weren't on his, their hearts. What, what are you thinking about these days, Jesus? And guess who pipes up for a huge rebuttal? As he talked about this openly with his disciples, Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. He took Jesus aside? He what? He took Jesus aside and he gave him a stinging rebuke to his face? He what? How many of us would take our professor to task in a classroom setting with other students around. We might be brave enough if it's history, but not mathematics. But if it was history, we might be bold enough to say, but Prof, maybe there's another way to look at this. I'm having a hard time buying into what you're saying. But would it be, wouldn't it be another thing for you to take on your prof, your teacher, you that are students, and say to your, your teacher, you must stop saying these things. And really reprimand your prof publicly. Who would have the courage to do that? But that's what Peter did. In the harshness of pointed word, he has the gall to confront Jesus, the Son of God, the incarnate Son of God, and chastised him for the things that he was teaching. Peter took him aside and began to reprimand him for saying such things. Do you want to see your prof react? Try to reprimand him or her in public. Jesus reacted. First, he looked at all the disciples, and then it says he looked at Peter, and he gave them both barrels. Get away from me, Satan, he said. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. By the way, just to underscore the intensity of the words, the word rebuke or reprimand is the word Jesus used when he rebuked the demons. Need I say more? It is strong language. Our Lord called his own disciple Satan. And why is this such a big deal to Jesus? Because Jesus is reflecting on how Satan came to him in the wilderness and did everything in his power to get Jesus to succumb to him. I will give you anything you want, Satan says. Just bow down and worship me. If you bow down to me, Jesus, you can have all the kingdoms of the world. You won't have to walk the Via Della Rosa to the cross. You won't have to die. There will be no cross. We can arrange that so you don't have to suffer on a cross and die for people. Who wants that? Jesus, we can fix this problem. Just bow down. And Jesus would not yield. And Luke, the gospel writer, tells us that Satan departed but he waited for an opportune time, right? The business of trying to knock Jesus off his mission is not finished. 
the insinuation is that he will be back. And sure enough, he is. And right now, who would have ever thought? Here it is, subtle and hiding inside the words of Peter himself. Oh, wow, now is the opportune time. Who could have ever foreseen that Satan would have pounced right after the highest confession of faith as to who Jesus is from the beginning of his ministry? It comes real clear. What does that tell us? This was a high point. And guess who was sneaking right around the greatest confession of all time? And Jesus was there and he used the very man who made the great confession. That is frightening. And Peter wasn't even aware. And that's even more frightening. Peter wasn't even aware. Yes, when we think we're conquering all the giants in the land and life is good and we are doing well, oh, to be a little cautious that, that he's not sneaking around behind us somewhere and trying to, trying to knock us off course. Just when you think you're at your finest, <laughs> things are well, he pounces. I think I know what God wants, uh, and, and it has to be this way, and uh, I'm going for it. What is God saying? Do I have the mind of Christ in this, or do I not? What is my motivation? And you know, uh, we say to those who are being baptized, be alert that the enemy may try to take you down after you've given public witness to your faith in Christ. Just be aware. Uh, not to be scared about it, but just to be aware when you give a public confession of Christ, you may take some blows. And life is good, and we are walking in victory and joy, and there is an enemy that never takes his eye off the goal of derailing Jesus. And since there, that's no longer possible to de derail Jesus, guess who's next on the list? Jesus said, you are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not from God's. Now, try to understand Peter or anyone living at that time. If Jesus was the Messiah, as Peter blurted out, logic, no one could understand a Messiah would suffer. No one could understand that, that a Messiah would die. But a Messiah would come to conquer and to rule and to deliver, not to die. So you can understand Peter. This was beyond the comprehension of Peter. I, I just said you are the Messiah and you tell me now that the Messiah will die? That's just not right. Oh, and by the way, can you appreciate that if the Messiah must die, what about his followers? So Peter is cluing in. Maybe we shouldn't forget this connection. Peter is aware, and he and the rest of his friends are very vulnerable when Jesus talks like this. There are two ways to look at the issues and, and struggle with what we face. We either look at them from God's perspective or we look at them from our own human perspective. Now, you notice uh, next how Jesus brings the huge crowd into his teaching. Perhaps he motions them, okay, everybody come in. Now, let's, let's, this is for all, everyone here. And... He, he talks to them about being a follower of his. Now, this is an amazing discussion of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. I don't know if you could find a stronger scripture passage in all of the Bible on this whole issue of discipleship than the passage that we're in right now. Do you ever 
wonder, what does it really mean when you use the word discipleship? Is it a fuzzy word? Is it a word that you can't really understand and get your head around? Can I say it clearly so that it can resonate in our hearts and minds? A disciple is someone who follows the teachings, life, and aim of another until the person becomes like the master. Discipleship in the Christian sense is the process of helping someone become like Christ. The disciple of Christ is to become like Christ in everything. So the passage sets before us a daunting question. And maybe you can answer this question for yourself as we look at these verses. But the question is that haunts us here, can you be a Christian and not be a disciple? Can you be a Christian and not be a disciple? Uh, uh, is discipleship a second stage of the faith? Are there many Christians, but only a relatively few disciples? Will you wrestle with that? And more importantly, will you live in such a way that that's not even a question for you? A disciple, in very general terms, is a learner. Disciples keep learning and growing, like our mission statement that says up there, know Jesus, walk with Jesus, share Jesus. You could say, well, that's discipleship. You, you get to know him, you, you walk with him, you become friends with him, and you know his heart, and then you share your love of Jesus with others. So what does a disciple look like? Jesus says, if you want to follow me, there are three things that are essential in the process. Here they are. Number one, deny yourself. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and he said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny him themse themselves and take up their cross and follow me. So the first mark of being a follower of Jesus so that people would distinguish who you are is that of denial of ourselves. It means to not be connected to anything other than that which is the main thing in your life. Peter denied Christ. The girl at the fire asked, do you know this man? And Peter said, no. He denied that he had any connection with Jesus. But please, this is not self-denial to give up something for Lent. But to deny oneself is to deny that we own ourselves. We give over the ownership of our lives to Jesus Christ when we become his follower. Now, that's absurd in today's world. What do you mean, give away the ownership of our lives? We take our rights very seriously today, and the biggest right is the right to ourselves. We take our identity very seriously, and we identify ourselves as numero uno. I am the boss, and I am number one, and I am who I am who I am, and I will make my decisions, and I will be the one who says yes or no. Those are my rights, and I will protect my rights, and I will protect my self-sufficiency, and I will protect my desire to pledge allegiance anywhere. I make that choice. Have you ever seen a more rights-focused generation than today? We will not be under anyone's authority. We will not allow anyone to make decisions for us. We will make the final decisions of our lives. We are the captain of our ship 
So to deny oneself is to give up those rights. And when you think of it, it's huge. Remember what Paul says, you're not your own. You're bought with a price. You would only surrender your rights to someone you love. You would only surrender your rights to someone that you trust. I wouldn't foolishly surrender my rights to someone that I think might take advantage of that. So if you're going to follow Jesus, you no longer own yourself. He has the rights to your life. He has the lordship of your life. And so when you come to the great decisions of life, you no longer are making those independent decisions where you're saying, I'm going to do that myself. You make that decision under the lordship of Jesus. That's what it means to deny Jesus, or to deny ourselves. There's a university in Japan, by the way, uh, that has established a ninja studies program. You can get a master's degree. You don't have to Google it now, but it's true. It's there. Students in the program spend two years studying the history, the training regimen, and the martial arts of the ninja, the famously skilled professional warriors that originated back in the 15th or 17th century in Japan. But you can study in one of the Japan universities and get a degree. Now, many students who apply for it are disappointed to learn that they won't graduate as full-fledged ninjas. The professor in charge says, this is a course to learn about the ninja, not to become one. Uh, unfortunately, a lot of us want to learn about Jesus, but we don't really want to become like him. We don't want to take that essential step of denying ourselves and taking up our cross and following him. But when we look at the cross, we can't deny Jesus' unconditional love for us. And there is no true love without sacrifice. And if we love him, what are we willing to sacrifice? Alan Payton wrote a novel years ago. It was called All But Your Land. Ah, But Your Land is Beautiful. Some of you probably have read it. It's set in South Africa in the days of the apartheid. And the headmaster of a local school finally stands up against the racist system of apartheid and he quits his job. He's finally had enough. And one of his friends warns him, said, you, you know if you quit your job, you will be wounded. Do you know that? And the headmaster points to heaven and he says, when I go up there, the big judge will say to me, where are your wounds? If I say, I haven't any, he will say, was there nothing to fight for? I couldn't face that question. When you come to the end of your life, don't you wonder if Jesus will ask, where are your wounds? Was there nothing worth dying for? Was there nothing worth giving up your rights for? So the first mark of a disciple is to deny yourself. And then Jesus talked about the second mark of discipleship. Becoming a disciple means we must follow him to crucifixion. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any one of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, the denial of self, take up your cross, and follow me. And the man who comes to my mind almost immediately is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. 
the German Lutheran pastor who died a martyr for his faith during the days of the Second World War. And his words became true in his own life. When Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Bonhoeffer was imprisoned and then executed for his faith in Christ. Christ leads the procession carrying his cross, and we, his followers, tread in his steps bearing our own crosses. What are our crosses? We say, well, I guess my cross is a boss who's hard to work for, or it's uh, students in our class who won't allow us to be in their group. We can never be on their team. They're the best team, but we can never be on that team. You know, our cross is not the difficulties of life. But a cross comes when we walk with Christ and we embrace his heart. It comes to us because we name the name of Jesus and we're committed to take our stand for him. Not everybody is in happy when we take our stand for Jesus. Difficulties are not our crosses, but difficulties because we are following close after the heart of Christ. All of us are more and more aware these days that to follow Christ takes much courage. And friends, I'm thinking that increasingly it will be true in the days ahead. And Jesus is always preparing us for the coming days. In the past year, 360 million Christians, one in seven believers around the world, suffered significant persecution for their faith. With close to 6,000 martyrs in 2021, uh, Christians who were killed for their faith. There are more followers of Christ being martyred these days than any other time in history. Now, many of us won't face martyrdom, but we face the rigors of being faithful to our calling because Luke, the writer, adds this one word to Jesus' command. He says, let him take up his cross what? Daily. That adds a whole new picture to this. As someone once said, the trouble with life is that it's so daily. It is. <laughs> it is so daily. And it's the daily that does a sin. I haven't read the sermon, but I've heard of it, that uh, years ago a man by the name of Tom Hilton titled a sermon called Nickled and Dimed to Death. He says, we may think that giving our all to the Lord is like taking a $1,000 bill and slapping it down on the table and, and saying, here's my life, Lord, take it. I, give it. I give it all to you. But the reality of the situation is that the risen Lord sends us to the bank and has us cash in the $1,000 bill for nickels and dimes. And then he asks us to go through a whole lifetime putting out a dime here and a nickel here, and a quarter here, and a dime here, and a nickel over here. And we, we want to do it all at once and just slap the $1,000 bill down and say it's done. But that's not how the Lord does it. Usually giving our life to Christ isn't glorious. It's done in those little acts of love daily, every day, every week, every month. It would be easier to go out in a flash of glory it's easier to live the Christian life little by little uh, over the long haul. It's more difficult to do that. Not all who have understood our giants are, are more martyrs. 
the woman who devotes her, her life to bringing in children, going to the orphanage, caring for those children that, are, that don't have a home, the man whose faithful devotion to a mentally ill wife is quiet and steady and faithful, the man or woman whose civil disobedience for conscience sake leads to prison or exile, the student who walks among his or her classmates and is confident that Jesus is Savior and leader and follows him regardless of the pushback. These are among thousands, countless thousands, who walk through the centuries who have taken up their cross to follow Jesus. Now finally, the third mark of discipleship is follow me. Follow me. If any of you wants to be my follower, you must turn from your selfish ways, take up your cross, and follow me. We're called to follow him. What does it mean? It really means obedience. If you've been disobedient before coming to Christ, now we as disciples choose a new pathway of obedience. And do we always follow in obedience? We all know that we don't. There are many slip-ups along the way. Sometimes we embarrass ourselves at our own disobedience. Jesus says, love your enemy. Sometimes we don't do that very well. Jesus says, pray for those who offend you and hurt you, and we admit we don't do that very well. Jesus says, forgive others, and we admit that's hard, and it takes many days or maybe weeks, maybe even years before we can really forgive somebody. Jesus says, be kind to the people who are selfish around you, and that's hard. Jesus says, bear one another's burdens, and sometimes we just don't want to. There is a whole lifetime of seeking to obediently follow him. Sometimes we do okay, and sometimes we say, oh, Lord, look at where I still am. It's interesting and helpful that we should all see this as a work in progress. I say that just because, not just because that's how it really works, but that's how it's actually written. Jesus says, keep on. It's the verb tense. Keep on denying yourself. Not just once, but over and over again. Keep on taking up your cross. Not just once, but over and over again. Keep on following me. It's never just a moment. It's a lifetime. It's learning to be a disciple of Jesus. And when we fail and falter, we come right back to Jesus to say, Lord, with your permission and grace, I'd like to start again. Do you know what the gospel writer John says about these words from Jesus? <laughs> it says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. And then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you also going to leave? It was fun to follow Jesus when things were going well, when we were getting the, the blessing of, of his presence, healing, and circumstances got better, and we had food, and but, but not to follow Jesus and, and ask us to deny ourselves and take up our cross and follow him, that's a tall order. But I think, folks, what you, what you have to agree here is that Jesus was very clear. He doesn't hedge anything here. He doesn't say, I'm not going to tell you the whole story. whole story is out. Many just left at this point and said, too hard, too hard. That's not how I want to live my life. And you want to say, no, 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 don't go, don't go yet, because there's more. 
there's more here. The, the purpose and the fulfillment of Christ can be in your life. You can have the joy. Life can be really worth living if you follow Jesus and you give him all of this. But no. How do you convince anyone of that? So many left, said, we've heard enough. And Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? What a truth Jesus speaks. And if you try to save your life, if you try to cling to it and hoard it and get it all for yourself, Jesus says you're going to lose it. You'll find that you have everything you want, but you will not want anything you have. It just does not satisfy. But if you give your life away for the cause of Christ, you will not waste your life, but you will save it. You will find contentment and satisfaction and an inner peace and a sense of worth and purpose. It's the very best. Your life will be so rewarding. It's been a lot of years now, but uh, well-remembered. Five young men went as a missionary team. You probably know the story. Went to the Aka Indians, South America. It was a daring venture, very dangerous ones. The Akas were not well known, but they had a fierce reputation. And the, the five young men were slain before their work was hardly begun. And one of the young men was Jim Elliott. When he was a college student, he loved to write, he loved to journal, and he wrote down many of his deepest convictions. And one of his most memorable sentences goes like this. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep in order to get that which he cannot lose. Let's pray. Maybe you would stand with me as we pray. And just as we're taking a moment to just to quieten our hearts and to reflect and it's always amazing to me how the Holy Spirit will identify something that was needed to stretch me in my life today. So may I ask you a searching question. How's your journey of discipleship going? What do you need? Where do you need encouragement? Is there a battle that rages in your heart? A battle to deny yourself? A battle to take up your cross? Maybe it's the battle of obedience. Would you just put your hands together in the shape of a cup and just put them out in front of you? And just pray with me. Lord, I want to follow you with all of my heart. Give me strength to deny myself and to give to you the allegiance of my heart. Give me strength to take up my cross and be willing to name as you as number one in my life, regardless. And give me strength to follow you in obedience. And where I fail, I ask for your forgiveness and your renewal that you'll help me to start again. 
Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.